welcome to Dockside, the podcast that helps you save and enjoy the waters you love by sharing clean and safe boating practices. I'm your host, Sarah Kennedy, and in today's episode, we will be talking about everything whitewater with Rafting Magazine's editor, Trevor Croft. We'll learn how to stay safe while seeking out a thrilling and exciting experience on California rivers. So Trevor, I'm so excited that you're here today. Thank you. I'm super excited too, Sarah. So a lot to talk about. I know this is something that's not typically covered in the podcast, but something new that you guys are working on from what I hear? Yeah, it's a different episode than we normally have. I think when people talk about boating, they think motorized vessels or sailboats or yachts and, um, you know, anything with a paddle is considered a vessel. So, and most of California boaters are paddle sport enthusiasts. And we are out here on location today on the North American... North Fork American, North Fork American in uh, Auburn State Recreation Area. Can you tell us a little more where we are? Yeah, so we are about an hour from Sacramento in Northern California. Uh, We're up in the mountains to the east. And the North Fork American River runs uh, east to west starting in North Lake Tahoe and then going all the way to Sacramento. Meets up at Folsom Lake and then passes by downtown Sacramento on its way to the ocean. And uh, all of the Forks of the American kind of come together right there at Folsom Lake. So um, it's a pretty magical area. I mean, it's a thousand foot deep canyon with just beautiful walls and probably one of the most beautiful rivers I've ever paddled in the world. So this place is definitely a magical place. It is absolutely epic out here. I'm driving through here. I was just amazed by it's snowing and I'm from Southern California, so it's a different <laughs> place for me, and I'm excited. We're going to do a little run today. Can you explain maybe what we're going to do today? And Yeah, for sure. So today we have uh, four miles of Class 4 whitewater that we're going to run from uh, Mineral Bar down to Yankee Jim Bridge, which is where we're at right now. Uh, down below us, there's another section of five miles of river. It's uh, got a one or two class three rapids mostly class two and we are 15 miles upstream from lake clementine um, which is just above the confluence of the north and middle fork american rivers very cool and um we have so many questions today but let's start off like how you got into river rafting and what pulled you to the river so how i got into it's super funny story i Started out um, not as a raft guide, uh, but some lady was making fun of me in a karate class one day. And she's like, what's all this ee-ah-ooh-ah stuff? And I'm trying to do a belt test for martial arts. And she says, uh, I get to talking to her and she ends up being a manager for a whitewater rafting company. So I decide, all right, well, let me give this a shot. And I went out and I I hung out at the camp for um, better part of the summer. Um, just kind of helped out a little bit around camp here and there. And then the next year they're like, okay, you have to go to guide school now if you want to keep rafting. So, uh, I went the commercial rafting route, which is a pretty common route for rafters. A lot of people get into rafting because they're commercial raft guides or their friends or family are commercial raft guides. So it kind of draws you in that way. But, uh, I kind of fell in love with the sport and, um, now here I am. It's been 22 years now. It's my 23rd year uh, rafting. Awesome. Yeah, I I fell in love with the river. I grew up in the ocean and, you know, I took a commercial rafting trip and I fell in love. And it's just such a great place to take adventures and um, see the world. It's, it's a totally different side of the places that you would normally see. We would drive across so many river crossings every day, and, and especially in California, there are so many that people don't really think about. And between those river crossings are these amazing stretches of river. And if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see it, but um, you could also check out our YouTube video that we're gonna have out on this. And you'll get to see some of the North Fork American River. And you know, there's a plenty of these little class two waterways that just sit in the middle of things that you can take friends and family and and your kids on if you wanted to. It's it's super easy to get into. Now talking about your adventures, what's your 
most memorable adventure out on the river? I would have to say my most memorable one was going to Kyrgyzstan. I spent six weeks traveling outside the United States over to Central Asia. And I spent like three weeks in Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan paddling around mountains that were 20,000 feet high with waterfalls cascading 7,000 feet down into the river. It was, it's crazy the places the river takes you. I mean, it, it wasn't so much the rivers as much as just the experience of being in a place where you're out of your element, kind of like you are today. You're from Southern California. You're coming up to the snow to come rafting. Like <laughs> it's, it's a totally different experience. It's a different culture and you're going to experience a different flow of life. And that's just what the river does is it, it has this different pace that, uh, that you kind of have to work into. And for some people it can be a little bit of culture shock. Yeah, I, I always feel like I'm going on the river's adventure. It's taking me on an adventure. And, um, I feel like California rivers really connect the whole state with the lakes and reservoirs and then down to the ocean. So it's such an amazing place to be. And 2023, we've had record-breaking snow melt, and we're expecting a huge whitewater year. And it could be an exciting time for experienced boaters, but it can also be very dangerous. What makes whitewater so dangerous? This is a big question that I've had a lot of people ask me. And the funny thing about whitewater is it's not like a lot of other sports. You know, if you play football, it's you have static rules in a static environment. You know, the, the landscape doesn't change. It's always the same. And the set of rules is well defined. Um, you get into something like uh, skiing or rock climbing, you have a, a dynamic sport in a static environment. So it seems a little bit more extreme because the rules of the sport kind of change and morph depending on what you're what you're on and what you're climbing um, or what you're skiing. But in whitewater, it's a dynamic sport in a dynamic environment. It's uh, you know surfing, base jumping, skydiving. These kinds of sports all are dynamic sports with the, the rules are kind of loosely defined. Things happen that are outside the norm of, of operations for for what you're trying to do and then the medium that you're on that you're using changes constantly the river is constantly moving and pulsing and changing so those changes make it so it feels unpredictable at first but if you start to understand how whitewater works you actually get a better idea of, of what you're doing why you're doing it when you're doing it and the directions you need to move with your boat and, and why the water's even doing it, what it's doing in the first place. Very, very cool. And I'm relatively a new rafter myself, um, probably been doing it for four years or so. And, you know, for myself, I found some issues about getting information about different rivers and different runs and um, just getting into the sport altogether. Let's talk about gatekeeping and whitewater sports and why you think it's important to share safety information with the public. That's a pretty huge topic in the whitewater industry. So for us on the river, um, like a lot of adventure sports, it can be pretty difficult to find information. As you said, uh, there are some resources. Obviously, I run Rafting Magazine. I try to put out a lot of information for beginners, a lot of information for, for different people getting into the sport about equipment and river runs and technique, um, but it, it can be kind of hard to find uh, information. So just starting with that, um, like I said, a lot of people start in the commercial route, and, and that's why I mentioned being a commercial raft guide, because that gives you a basis for what you need to do by going to a guide school, and there's a lot of private instruction that's starting to, to come up in different places around the U.S., um, there's not too much in California. We have a little bit that's, that's starting up. Um, I'll be teaching a couple courses this year. Uh, that being said, there are a couple other resources. And if you're getting into kayaking too, not just rafting, there are kayaking schools. There's plenty of kayaking schools. There's quite a few um, along different rivers. Uh, Coloma being one of the, the large uh, river hubs. The Kern River also has some stuff in Kernville. Um, so both of those rivers have some really good resources for new kayakers. Um, that all being said, 
Uh, American Whitewater is a uh, nonprofit that advocates for clean rivers and, and free-flowing rivers and getting flows back into rivers so that we can have recreational use on it. And uh, American Whitewater has a great library of information that will tell you about river runs, uh, classes of river. They have a lot of beta on their website about and if you are new to the whitewater scene, beta is information that you would get before you go on the run. Uh, so they have a ton of that information available to uh, new participants and boaters who can uh, get you out on the river. Thank you. Yeah, and so are there maps out there for new boaters to find where the rapids are? Or? American Whitewater does have some great maps, um, and there are a couple other resources um, that are privately run. Uh, there's one called Dream Flows. Uh, it's a little different of a resource, but um, it, it has kind of like a, just a listing of river flows and information about runs from different guidebooks. So that's out there, but uh, a lot of the state parks obviously has information on that. Um, Forest Service and uh, national parks all have different resources available for respective parks. So uh, something like if you wanted to go to Yosemite to float the Merced through the valley, which is one of the most beautiful sections of river. It is. There, there is. <laughs> it is. It's so pretty there. And also commercial guide services. So outfitters are a huge link in this chain. And um, I think that going on a commercial rafting trip before you go rafting is really valuable for people because that gives you a lot of information and a lot of resources that help you understand uh, you know what you're supposed to be doing on the river like where where you're going what are you doing what how are you supposed to float down the river and on top of that you get practice not only paddling but oftentimes swimming in the river yeah so i was an ocean lifeguard for almost 10 years and i learned um the hard way that rivers are very different <laughs> than oceans you know you you fall in a river and you have no control even with a life jacket on you know the water so aerated um, let's talk about safety equipment on a river what's the minimal safety equipment someone should have when recreating on a California river so th this is kind of a tough one um... And it, it depends what you're going for, is, is, is kind of what I'd start out with. Like, if you're just going to go by the river with your family and enjoy the river, have a picnic, have lunch, you know, just, just hang out, and it's hot. And this happens all the time in the summer, you know. People flock to the rivers because the access is easy, oftentimes free, and, um, and you get plenty of water to swim in and all these beautiful swimming holes. And... So I would say that one of the things that's really important is personal flotation devices or life jackets. That's got to be one of the biggest ones. And I, I see it a lot. There's a lot of people that will swim out. Even when I'm doing commercial rafting trips, people will swim out into the river and uh, maybe climb on a rock and they'll be exhausted by the time they get there. Cold water really hits you differently. Um, it really saps your strength very quickly and it you know, a lot of times people don't realize that and they'll get exhausted and end up on a rock in the middle of the river as I'm floating by with some commercial rafting guests and a lot of times I'll pick them up and ferry them back to the side of the river. Um, that's, that's one thing that's really cool about the river community is that uh, people on rivers who are recreating on rivers regularly are some pretty welcoming folks. Um, but that being said, you know, have a life jacket personal flotation devices, we like to call it, but have a life jacket. And it's, most of the life jackets that you can get nowadays are amazing. And the thing about life jackets is you just need to make sure they are uh, the correct life jacket for the activity that you're engaging in. So if you're in whitewater, having say a wakeboarding PFD, it is not the best idea. Um, that being said, if you're just gonna go down to the river and swim in the river and you don't have a lot of other resources and that's all you have even that is better than no pfd but you definitely need to have a pfd that is that is the correct type of pfd and it'll say on the back of it so um we're wearing a couple pfds right now for those who are listening to the podcast and on the inside of the pfd it'll say what it's for it'll say 
This is for canoeing, kayaking, rafting, and that's the kind of PFD that you want, not something for wakeboarding or, you know, around the neck kind of uh, PFD. That's that's the the biggest thing that I see on the river is have a PFD. After that, the right shoes, a helmet, um, potentially some thermal protection. Uh, like it's snowing out, we're going to be wearing dry suits today. Um, and that's really gonna help you if it's cold in the river and you're swimming across the river. So, uh, but again, if you're just going down to enjoy the river with your family, um, you know, it's pretty easy to get out. Uh, and then I'd say the last thing to have with you is possibly a rope and know how to use it. So if you are going out to recreate on the river, you're gonna go rafting, you're gonna go kayaking, um, learn how to use a throwback. There are so many times where I've been on the side of the river and I've seen people struggling and you can just toss them a rope. Even if I'm not rafting that day or I'm just sitting on the side of the river taking pictures, um, it, it's incredible how many folks hop in an inner tube, go down, they might get flipped over and they get exhausted, they're tired, they're cold, um, all sorts of physiological issues are working against them and then just getting a rope to them, they can grab on the rope and you pull them in. That's great advice. Life jacket and when we say life jackets, the type three and um, U.S. Coast Guard approved is the best type. And obviously out here, it's a kayaking life jacket. Um, the rope is a fantastic idea. Yeah, anytime coming to the river, you want to have some way to get someone out without you becoming a victim as well. Um, I'm sure you've seen that a lot where there was one victim, but now there's two. So what are your biggest safety tips for someone who's looking to start boating in whitewater? So as far as safety when you're starting to get into whitewater, the first thing that's really helpful is, like I said, go on a commercial rafting trip. Because they're going to talk about a bunch of different safety ideas and really pay attention to that. Because you'll be there with a guide all day long. And you can pick that guide's brain and, and you can annoy them the entire trip. and. <laughs> Uh, the thing is, we geek out on this stuff, so we love it. Any raft guide that you're going to hop in a boat with, if you say, hey, how do I be safe in this? How do I be safe over there? How do I swim across this current? They're going to talk to you about that. They're going to talk about all the safety stuff. And, and many of the raft guides that you're going to encounter have different levels of swift water rescue training, but they all have been trained in some way to navigate rivers and operate in that sort of environment. So from that perspective, I'd say first, Start with a commercial rafting trip, and they're, they're actually pretty inexpensive, all things considered. You know, like a commercial rafting trip would be 150 bucks for a, a quick day trip, and you get lunch. And, and I mean, honestly, I too. yeah, <laughs> try getting out of a out of an amusement park like that, like Disneyland, or you know, yeah, no way. So um, even a ski resort, like a you know, a lift ticket's going to be 150 dollars just for lifting. So. Those are, that's one avenue to get into uh, boating and understand it. The next thing I would say is get some training from somewhere. Whether that's just swift water rescue training, whether you find a commercial guide school that you can hop on with, uh, or you get some private instruction. Those, uh, those kinds of, of opportunities to learn and understand how the river operates and where you're going, what you're doing, and how you're supposed to be uh, on the river, those are huge. I mean, I, I think that's the best way to get started. And then also finding sources that are going to educate you on how the river works and where you're supposed to be going, what you're supposed to be doing, um, and, and just learning how to operate in the river environment with different river skills. It's, it's kind of just absorb all the knowledge you can, just be a sponge and talk to as many people on the side of the river. You can even show up at a, at a river put-in and just talk to people for a little bit. Um, they'll probably be in a hurry to get on the river, but a lot of times people will want to hang out and talk with you. And then after that, I would say, try and get on river trips with people. You know people with boats, um, or you find some groups, there's, there's clubs you can join. Uh, boating clubs are, are a huge, um, resource for people who are trying to get into boating and want to learn more and network with people. Awesome. Yeah. The boating community is like the rafting community is one of the 
the nicest community and um, whenever you're on the river everyone's saying hi to each other it's really fun and I got into it through a commercial off the Kern River and you know now it's like quickly become my favorite sport <laughs> um, so like there's different types of white water you know we're kind of sitting by a calmer area but upstream there's a rapid up there can you explain the different types of rapids that someone can encounter so when we talk about hydrology there's it seems like a big discussion but really in hydrology there's only about seven things that are most relevant to rivers and rapids and um you know, it's, I'd venture to say up to 10 things are, are important, and those things don't really play into the hydrology of it, but um, but they are important. So there are things called uh, flow states. So there's three different types of flow states, and there's uh, also hydraulic jumps. And so these are the hydraulic features of the river and how they operate. Um, and there are four different types of hydraulic jumps. So that's kind of the first seven things. After that, you have uh, the gradient of the river, which is how far the river drops. The faster water falls, the bigger the rapids are going to be. So if you go to, uh, you know, an amusement park, uh, that's a water park, they're going to have really steep slides. The steeper that slide is, the crazier it feels, right? <laughs> and it's no different in the river. So the more the river drops, uh, you know, if you have a hundred foot waterfall, that's a really crazy rapid. But if you have a four foot waterfall, it's going to be a lot easier. So. That plays, that, that's, I would venture to say, one of the largest things of a rapid that makes a rapid is just the gradient and how far it drops. Um, and that can be very difficult to find out if you're not in the industry and know how to figure out this information. So um, after that though, I would say the flow, the amount of water moving downstream is uh, really important and like I said American Whitewater has some great resources for this uh, there's a couple other websites that people use but um, American Whitewater is a big one and they have this massive library of rivers and so they'll show you the flow uh, they'll show you the gradient they'll show you the length of the river and that all plays into it so the final thing I would say is just the geology of it and that's a little bit more complex of a topic but knowing what kind of geology that you have, if you have granite rivers or you have uh, you know, metamorphic rock or sandstone, those are all gonna change how the river moves and, and works. But for someone who's getting into it and wants to understand this, I would just say understanding the three flow states and the four hydraulic jumps, if you understand those seven concepts and you know generally what class of river it's going to be, and, and we rate rivers on a scale of one to six. Six being unrunnable, one being calm, flat water, and we're sitting next to some class one water right now. It's not really white water, but it is moving water. There are hydraulic features working in there. Um, so understanding that each one is kind of a big step up from the previous one uh, is it, going to be a, a good start to that. But like I said, the, the flow states, the hydraulic jumps, those uh, again, are bigger topics, um, but they they define how the river moves and the physics of fluids. So understanding all that is going to be a big uh, step forward for you, if you can understand that. And since there's only seven of them, it's pretty easy to memorize and understand. Like, there's not a whole lot to it, and sometimes we make it into a bigger thing. We have a lot of industry jargon, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's really all there is to it. Who knew? It's scientific, you know? <laughs> Who knew rafting could be so scientific? Um, and there's so many important features in, of a river, and how can a boater use these features to their advantage while paddling down a river? That is a little bit more complex because it does take time to understand this. It's like any sport. Um, you know, as, as you start to understand different features, you see different features in the river, and you start to learn what they are, you're going to be able to figure out how to use these to your advantage. Um, for me, I, I use the current a lot to move around. Um, you know, being a raft guide, we're, we're notorious for being kind of lazy on the river. You know, a lot of other sports you're working against gravity, but we like to work with gravity and go downstream. So 
Um, it, it's all about your body, and it's a really engaging sport for your entire body. And, and so with that, you have to be able to engage your core, engage your arms, use your legs, and use all the parts of your body to move yourself around and get the boat to do what you want. Um, I, uh, I used to own a whitewater rafting company. I had a lot of uh, women that worked for me, and they would always say to me, Trevor, you need to boat like a girl, because I kept hurting myself. And what I found was a lot of the women that worked for me were using the currents and using the river to move them around. So you got to kind of let the river do its work and let the boat go with the flow, so to speak, is the best way to put it. But you kind of need to guide it and you need to shepherd your boat around. And that, I mean, it takes a bit of time to learn this. It's, it's kind of an art. So, and, you know, just like anything with, with when you're, whether you're going to go skiing or you're going to go rock climbing or you're going to go surfing, any of those sports, you need to really understand how the physics work and you need to understand how your body works and how to move that. And really, more than anything else, it just takes time on the water. There's a lot of people who paddle uh, really easy stuff and they learn how the flow works. Um, one of my junior team, she was a stand-up paddleboarder on the river. And so she got to learn how the river worked so well because she's so engaged with her paddleboard because one misstep or one wrong paddle stroke and she falls off of her board and, ha and ends up swimming and has to keep climbing up and climbing up. So she learns to read the water and learns how the water works. And there's plenty of river guides out there. There's uh, a lot of resources that talk about reading the water, understanding features, and navigating those features to help get you through successfully. Cool. And there's ways you know a rapid's coming. You can get out and scout a river, scout a rapid. What's the best way to do that or the best practices to do that? So the first thing I would say for scouting is to look for horizon lines. Uh, and a horizon line is just anywhere where the river drops off the face of the earth. You're going to see that there's just a, a line across the river and then it falls off. And sometimes you'll see spray picking up on the other side. And that's a really good indicator that there's a bigger rapid there because the gradient is dropping. Again, gradient is a big part. It makes all the rapids. Um, if the river was, didn't have any gradient to it, it would just be like uh, the Sacramento Delta. You know, between Sacramento and Benicia, all of that water is very calm. It, at least it looks very calm. There's a lot of flow moving through there, so different currents, are, it's creating different currents and uh, different forces, but it's moving through, and you can actually scout those rapids. They're not really rapids, uh, as, as we would understand them in more whitewater, but knowing where those features are and where that gradient picks up, you can start to anticipate where the rapids are gonna be. So I always tell people, and it's an old river adage is when in doubt scout you you see a big horizon line you don't know what's coming just pull over for a second there's a couple things you can do the first thing is just stand up in your raft if you're in a raft it's harder to do in a kayak so but in a raft you can just stand up and it gives you a better viewing angle for what's downstream and you can see more of that gradient and what's on the other side of that gradient if you still can't see it and you're still you know confused about what's next stop on the side of the river hop out of your boat and get to a higher point. If you have to, you can also move down river, but if you go up first, potentially you can see what's down there. And if you have to, move down to the rapid. And if it is a bigger rapid, set up some safety. This is where I talked about ropes earlier. Knowing how to use a throw bag and a rope. And uh, for those of you who are just getting into it, a throw bag is basically just a bag filled with rope and it's just comes on out usually they're about 50 to 60 feet long and being able to stand there at the worst spot of the rapid if you look at a rapid and go i feel like i'm going to swim right over there <laughs> that's usually the spot you want somebody with a throwback so i would say move downstream look at the rapid and uh, one of the methods uh, we have a little acronym that we use on our uh, on our team and it's called CORT. It stands for current obstacles root contingencies. So the first thing you look at is a current. Where's the water going? Obstacles are the second thing. What are there rocks in your path? Is there a bridge pier? Is there a bush? Those sorts of things. You want to look for that. Root 
is you're gonna pick a route that you're gonna go through the, the rapid. Just, uh, and usually it's a path of least resistance. It's pretty obvious. It's, uh, you know, green glassy water often tells you, is a good indicator of where uh, the river wants to take you. And then contingencies. What happens if things go bad? If you end up flipping, if you end up swimming, if you end up, uh, if somebody ends up in the water, what do you do? Uh, so you wanna think about all those things. So moving through that four part system, it's really easy to say, this is how we look at a rapid. These are the parts of it. Let's break it down real quick. Uh, and then what happens when things go wrong? And then you can hop in your boat, keep on going. But good thing to do is kind of leapfrog through the rapid. So you have one person setting safety, one person running it. After the people running it are done, they set safety, the other boat goes up and goes through. So if you're a newer boater and you're worried about the rapid and what's about to happen, set up for safety. Awesome, that's great information. And talking about safety, setting up for safety, unfortunately accidents do happen. Um, and it's important to be prepared for any type of emergency. You know, coming down to a river, which this is in a pretty remote area, you know, you you have to know what to do if something were to go wrong. Um, and I just heard a stat recently that rivers in California are the number one cause of open um, water drowning, which is pretty staggering to me. And people just don't know how dangerous. Considering how much coastline we have in California, that that is really surprising. It's a huge stat. And so falling into the river with or without a life jacket could be deadly. Um, what should someone do if they or their friend falls into a river? When you fall into a river, a lot of things happen, um, physiologically and um, mentally as well. So the first thing that you need to do, if you're the one falling in, don't panic. If, if you've had some training or you've at least been on a commercial rafting trip, and again, I bring this up because uh, commercial rafting is such a, a gateway to uh, to being out there on your own. So if you've gone on a commercial rafting trip, you can understand what needs to be done on how to swim, relax, get yourself up to the top of the water. Obviously getting air is the most important thing, but you wanna find somewhere safe to stop. You don't wanna swim into bushes, you don't wanna swim into rocks. Um, you do wanna swim into calmer water. And if you have a life jacket on, then that's gonna go a long way to keeping your airway above the level of the water. It's, uh, it's a little hard to breathe down there under the river. <laughs> uh, so I always tell people that you want to have, um, you know, a, at least a good understanding of how rivers work. And, you know, I, I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money. I was kind of a hillbilly kid that ran around up in the mountains here. But for me, one of the things we always did is I learned to swim in rivers. So, um, it was always fun to just go down the river and, and my parents always made me wear a life jacket, which was, which was pretty cool. Um, so I would jump in the river and I would just go swim back and forth across the river, swim downstream. What you wanna do is if you see a rock or an obstacle um, or a spot of calm water, usually there's an eddy behind those rocks and that, that eddy is pretty calm water. So you can swim into those and that's gonna be one of your, um, one of your saving graces out there. Now. If you're on the side of the river and uh, you have a family member or a friend who falls in and can't swim or has trouble swimming, um, the, there's a series of things that we do uh, in Swiftwater Rescue that I think are pretty important. And the first one is reach. So it, it goes reach, throw, uh, row, go. So you don't want to jump in the water first. In fact, as Swiftwater rescuers and uh, even fire rescue professionals or, or lifeguards, that's like the last thing you want to do is go go after the person because you could turn one victim into two, as we talked about before. If you don't have a PFD on and the other person doesn't have a PFD on, now you have two people in the river without PFDs. So the first thing you want to do is reach for them if you can, whether that's just with your hand, you find a long stick on the side of the river, maybe you have a paddle with you, and every time I go down the river, I go down with a paddle just because it's a great walking stick. And it's got the little T-grip on the end. You can always reach out. If someone falls in, they're not good at swimming, they're tired, they can't make it, you reach for them. After that, this is why rope use is really important. Uh, and again, 
rope use takes training. You, you really have to go out and train and learn how to use a rope properly. Otherwise, it becomes a hazard on the river. But then you throw your rope. You can't reach them with a rope. Um, then you want to paddle after them. So a lot of times people will go down to the river with uh, even floaty toys. Um, they'll go down with small rafts that are that, that are not really designed for whitewater. But even something like that can help save someone's life because you can attach that to a rope and throw it to them, uh, get it out to them, um, or even get somebody in that. That person can paddle out and you can have a rope so that people on shore can pull you back in. So those are all, those are all possibilities of, of what you can do if someone falls in. Uh, swimming after them, obviously, like, like I said, if you're not trained in going out there and swimming after someone in whitewater or in river environments, it can be a really dangerous possibility. Um, and then as far as other safety stuff goes, um, I generally always have a dry bag with me. And I got this dry bag that will be taken on the river today. Um, but inside this dry bag, it's it's pretty small. Um, I always call it my purse, like my man purse. Um, but it, you know, it's a pretty small dry bag. Uh, for those who are just listening to the podcast, it's you know maybe about six inches in diameter and, and maybe cute. eighteen inches long. Yeah, and, you know, just throw it over your shoulder. But inside this dry bag, I have all of my water rescue gear. Uh, I have extra layers of food. I've got um, first aid kits. And, and having that, I have this with me all the time. So uh, even if I'm driving, it's really easy. I can just take it, I can throw it in my truck. If I ever got in a car crash, this thing's in a waterproof bag. If somebody else gets in a car crash, I can grab it, get out there, and then get them a first aid kit. Um, or if you're on the river, you can take this with you. It's got all your first aid gear, and you can throw that in your boat, you can keep it with you, and all that stuff stays dry. I love it. And from a rescuer's point of view, like say someone's friend falls in the water, what is the most important information to have for that 911 call? That is an awesome question. And I, I actually sat down with um, one of Cal Fire's uh, top water rescue uh, guys named Sean Norman. Uh, he's a chief up in Butte County. And I had a great interview with him. Uh, so if you want to check that out, I can. The, the link is on Rafting Magazine, but uh, he gave me some really good information for this. And he said, the first thing you're going to do is you're gonna give a location, including GPS coordinates or common names of rapids if you know them. So um, most people have a phone. I got my phone in my hand right here. So um, GPS often works even in canyons if you have a GPS device or, and a lot of people have, uh, you know, you got a smartwatch on, like GPS is, is pretty prevalent in California and the United States. So it's pretty easy to find a GPS coordinate. So that's the first thing you're gonna to wanna to give to the, the 911 dispatcher. Um, you're gonna to wanna to give the point and time last seen so rescue teams know where to search. Uh, so from the rescue side, they're gonna come down and they are going to start at that point last seen and then move downstream. After that, um, you, you wanna share the missing persons uh, or the victims, river knowledge and river skills. So have they been out in whitewater before? Do they know anything about the river? Are they a good swimmer? Um, you know, what kind of, have they had any uh, survival training? Do they know anything about that? Um, this is going to help rescuers not only get to that person, but also assess, hey, is that person going to end up swimming downstream? Um, is this person, uh, you know, a Boy Scout or in the military and they understood a lot of, um, you know, land navigation. So they're gonna go downstream to another access point. Uh, that way they can also get teams down to the next access point and search that in-between area. And the other thing that, that is super important, um, and I think people have a, have a hard time uh, of keeping a clear head about this, in rescue situations is give an accurate description of the person, including clothing, age, hair color, anything that you have that can help identify that person. Because there's a lot of river users out there. So um, if there is a helicopter that's deployed to search the canyon as well, that helicopter is gonna fly over 
and they're gonna look and see, okay, there's six people in this canyon. Um, what was the person wearing? Oh, they're wearing a red jacket. Oh, there's a person down here with a red jacket, or they took off their red jacket, it's on the side of the river next to someone. That's gonna let the rescuers know who they're looking for and not waste resources going to the wrong person. Um, so those are all really important um, pieces of information because uh, it, it's pretty fascinating what professional rescuers do and how they how they go about uh, finding someone. So in talking with a lot of the, the firefighters, one of the things that they have is uh, they have a stick of hose and it's 100 feet long. So they take a hose, they'll unroll a hose, and if someone is missing, what they'll do is they'll throw a floating object into the river. Maybe they got a throw bag or they have uh, a stick. They'll throw it in at the top of where the hose is on the side of the river, see how far it floats down. And from there, they can calculate river speed. Is it three miles an hour? Is it 10 miles an hour? And if you told the 911 dispatcher, the last time we saw this person was 15 minutes ago, they floated downstream. We haven't seen them since takes and you know we're in remote areas if it takes 45 minutes for the fire crew to arrive or the rescuers then they know the person's been missing for an hour and if the river is moving three miles an hour they're going to search the next three miles of river if it's moving 10 miles an hour they're going to get more search teams maybe get a helicopter to fly it if they can um, and search the next 10 miles of river so the rescue response depends upon uh, what they're seeing and who's out there yeah, I mean, some takeaway. those are some amazing and interesting points and some takeaways I've taken from that is, you know, when you get to a place that's remote like this, maybe before you start doing anything, take a look at your GPS, write it down, um, and take pictures of everyone. I've seen in emergencies myself where parents can't even remember what their kid was wearing that day, you know, so it's important to note those things, especially if you're going to a crowded area or a remote spot that, you know, accidents are called accidents for a reason. You didn't mean for that to happen. <laughs> so we can all get in those by mistake and it's important to be prepared. Um, so with warm weather coming up, the summer, people have been kind of cooped up this winter and I'm sure people are gonna be flocking to rivers, lakes, oceans maybe rivers aren't the best place to you know hang out but where are some safe places for someone to just hang out and go in the water and have a good time this summer so i would say the first thing is if you can go to a recreation area that has a lifeguard that's really big uh, i know here in auburn state recreation area where we're filming um, there is a lifeguard um, at the confluence of the north and middle fork america and it looks kind of calm and placid, but they raise the river levels up for commercial rafting. People get stuck on rocks and having those lifeguards there, it's a huge thing. So, um, you know, state parks are pretty cheap. 10 bucks, pay the 10 bucks for your car, go where there's a lifeguard, it's, it's pretty good. Um, the next thing is, is choose an area that's calm. You come down to the river and it looks really inviting, but you wanna look first what's downstream and what's upstream. What's upstream can kind of tell you uh, what the river's like. So if you see upstream, there's a bunch of rapids. There might be rapids downstream. So look up and downstream and uh, find an area that's gonna be really calm if you're gonna go to the river. The next point I'd offer is rivers and alcohol don't mix. Like, I, I see this a lot on the river. People are floating down with a, with a beer koozie and you know, the, the flat water booze cruise is, is a really common thing that people do. Personally, I don't think it's a great idea. Um, it's kind of like going skiing and drinking. Um, you know, being in that altered state of mind doesn't set you up for success when you're on the water. So if you're going to uh, engage in whitewater activities, keeping alcohol out of it, probably a really good idea. Or any substance for that matter. It just, uh, it changes your physiological response, it changes your state of mind, and then you can even forget emergency procedures you can forget how to how to do things I th so I think that's a that's a pretty uh, pretty important point when you're going on the river and then I'd say getting education is one of the next biggest things learn about the river learn about where you're at 
the state park has lots of interpretive signage, but they also have lots of warning signs. So heed those warning signs. If it says, um, and, and I see this all the time, even where we're at, when the river's up, the park is gonna come down and put signs that say, you know, risk of flooding, high water event. Read those signs and, and understand them. Like if you go to the beach and you see red flags up, there's probably something going on there. You might want to read about riptides and, and things like that. But in the river, we have kind of the same thing. High water is like really bad riptides in the ocean. So heed those warnings, understand what that's all about. And if you want to go out and, and go paddle down a river, then like I said, get some training, get some education. And even if you're just going to go to the side of the river, you know, a, a first aid and CPR course is very inexpensive. A lot of times free in places and community centers all over the place are free. I think the community center near me has uh, one or two a month that are free that anybody can just go and, and get that and they're all Red Cross certified uh, courses. So understanding this and getting that training of, of first aid and CPR, you can totally save someone's life out here. And you're in a remote environment. If you make a call, I mean, it took us 45 minutes to drive down here uh, just from the nearest town. So, you know, the, even though there's a fire station right there, it's gonna take those guys, you know, 15 minutes to mobilize, 45 minutes to drive down here, maybe 30, because they're driving a little bit quicker in fire engines. But uh, you're kind of on your own in remote environments. So you wanna make sure that you have training and knowledge that can help you, uh, set you up for success, and um, help keep people safe. Yeah, I, I want to encourage everyone to get to places like this and see how beautiful California is, but you've got to be safe. And I'm going to just reiterate that is education is key, you know. I, it would be so the worst thing in the world if you came down here with your friends and your family drinking beer on a little tiny donut, you know, inflatable without a life jacket, and then it pops and you're down river without anything, you know? So be safe and recreate responsibly and have fun when you're recreating responsibly. <laughs> but um, what are some things people can do to lessen their environmental impact down here at the river? So uh, I'll kind of give you an anecdote on this. My father was like, one of the most hillbilly conservationists ever. <laughs> he would take me out to places like this. We'd sit by the river. We would uh, go shoot a bunch of guns or go hiking. And then what he would do is he would get really mad and he'd always blame it on city people, but it's, you know, <laughs> it, it happens every, you know, people from all, all places can be guilty of it, but there can be a pile of trash there. He'd hand me a trash bag and be like, boy, you need to clean that up. And I'm like, that's somebody else's mess though. And he goes, I, look how pretty it is when you look that way, but you look over here and there's a bag of trash. Now, sometimes people forget things, you know, um, it's not necessarily malicious, but if you're looking around and you see some trash, pick it up. It's, I mean, just grab the trash and in a lot of places like the state park here, there's trash bins right up there, right at put in and take out. It's really easy, just grab a can, throw it away. If you grab one piece of trash from wherever you're at, that, that really helps. Um, and then also don't leave human waste. That's a big one. Uh, we were just walking down the river and there's some toilet paper like on the side of the river. Um, I wouldn't encourage people to pick that up. That's kind of a biohazard. <laughs> but um, the, the thing is use facilities that are there uh, to dispose of human waste. And there's a lot of things in, in human waste in this happens on multi-day whitewater trips that people will get things like E. coli and norovirus and that can come from from poop and so not leaving that place is really helps uh, to make sure that not only people aren't getting sick but animals aren't getting sick and um, also when you walk around and you see a big old pile of poop right there kind of gross so uh, if it's your dog's poop obviously pick it up if it's your poop, just don't leave it there in the first place. Like, go put it somewhere where it belongs. Like, Yeah. I mean, a place like this, you have to pack it in, pack it out. You know, if you're going to bring stuff here, you got to take it home with you and throw it away there. You know, it's 
got us, we're really borrowing this planet from our grandkids, you know, you got to keep this place for our future generations. And um, that's all I have for the questions today. Do you have anything to add um, to our listeners? I think that rivers offer a really incredible opportunity for you to see a different side of the parks and recreation areas and the public lands that we uh, we all have access to. So I would encourage more people to get out and just explore the rivers. And, and you know, one of the things I love about being a whitewater rafting guy is just getting out there, exploring these places and showing people who have never been out there before and, and teaching them how to be on the river and be safe and be in a raft and just enjoy our surroundings. Um, one of my one of my mentors in rafting always used to say, part of being a boater is to take people from fear to confidence to joy. And when you start out, you've got a lot of fear, and it's totally understandable. Like I said, it's a dynamic sport in a dynamic environment. And finding some confidence by getting some training really helps you find that joy. Um, and you know. There. You're from Southern California. You drove up here. We got waterfalls popping off everywhere, snow on the top of the mountains, and you come to this place and you're like, "Oh my God, this is so different from where I live." <laughs> you're just in a, in a completely different world, and it, it's it's a really rewarding experience to be out here and, and take your family out. And, and you know, especially if you got kids, and I know a lot of parents struggle with screen time. Well, down here, there's no cell phone service, and um, you know, you can take a kid's phone, lock it in the glove box, and you can go explore. And it, it's a really, it's a really rewarding thing when you get to see kids go out and just play in the mud. And it's like, uh, our girls team went, went to Europe with us last year. We went down by the river. There was no cell service. We took all our phones, locked them up in the glove box of the car. And they went down and they literally played in the mud and threw mud at each other and built a mud <laughs> castle. And you're like... You know, it's really interesting to see a bunch of uh, teenagers who were just on their phone, on Snapchat and Instagram, and watching YouTube videos, and now they're flinging mud at each other. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, I feel like that's the way we were meant to recreate. But um, you're going to have to come out and find out for yourself. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to press the reset button. And I'm super stoked that you met me here. And, um, you know, I reached out to you because your social media on Rafting Magazine is, like, so good with safety tips and beginner boater tips. So make sure to go check that out. And, um, yeah, thank you. Let's get out on the river. This podcast was brought to you by the California State Parks, the California Coastal Commission, and the San Francisco Estuary Partnership and it is partially funded by the Division of Boating and Waterways Clean Vessel Act Education Program and the Federal Clean Vessel Grant Act Program.